Like someone told me once that you can't take a tech person and give them 15 years of firefighter experience, but you can take a firefighter of 15 years experience and you can get them in front of enough tech people to do this thing that I did. I just had enough time and enough people supporting me and telling me to solve a problem. Welcome to Humanizing Software, where we explore our ever-evolving relationship with technology and its impact on our professional and personal lives. Hear incredible stories and gain valuable insights from global industry leaders as we discuss their relationship with software and how it's developed over the course of their career. As technology continues to evolve and brings us closer together, it should enable people to do what they do best while we uncover what they do best with the help of technology. And now your host, Andrew Tall. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. And welcome to Humanizing Software, presented by Tailwind Business Ventures, where we have conversations, fireside chats, if you will, with a number of business and technological and other leaders relative to the impact of software on their and our lives, both what we've experienced in the past, what we're experiencing today, and what we can experience in the future. We invite for you to please digitally engage with us. We want to keep this conversation going, and we want to make sure, whether it's on LinkedIn or Twitter or YouTube or the new threads uh, or any other different type of technological platforms, that we are able to bring people together for this conversation on humanizing software. Today, I'm very, very excited because we have a little bit of a twist in our format today. We don't just have one we have two folks that are going to be joining us in on today's live cast. These two folks are folks that I've gotten to know over the last year or so and have come to respect on a very, very personal and professional level for not only who they are as human beings, but what they have done over their course of their lives on so many different fronts. So today we are bringing in Damian McKeon and Ashley Hamilton to the conversation. And let me tell you a little bit about both Damian and Ashley before we invite them in. Damian brings over 29 years of experience in the fire service and 27 years as an EMT paramedic uh, in the state here of Texas. A seasoned professional, Damian has served in the United States Army as a Green Beret in the 19th Special Forces. He has traveled the world sharing his expertise in tactics and tactical medicine, something we'll be discussing today. His unwavering commitment led him to become deeply involved in alert.org, where he has dedicated the past 13 years to teaching active attack response nationally. He authored part of the curriculum that is now the national standard. And as an entrepreneur, he has co-founded Ike Incorporated, something that we'll be spending quite a bit of time together to discussing today. Joining Damien is Ashley Hamilton. With 15 years of firefighting experience, including six years in the Special Operations Battalion, Ashley excels, and I've seen this, at, uh, at solving complex problems in very, very hazardous and restrictive environments. She currently is serving as an emergency planning specialist for the Austin Fire Department and plays an extremely vital role in helping AFD do what they're supposed to be doing. She has pioneered programs that require and enable first responders and command staff to make rapid, secure, and efficient symbols using symbols instead of written language. Again, something we'll be covering today. 
Also, as a co-founder of IT Incorporated, she passionately believes in enabling students, teachers, and first responders during crisis to combat the epidemic of current mass shootings that have been plaguing our country. Again, something that we're going to be talking about. Both have been recognized with a number of different awards, and they have my utmost respect for what they do, not only as human beings, but for their passion for their particular line of work. So please join me today as we have both Damien and Ashley come in on the uh, live cast. Damien and Ashley, good morning. Hey, good morning, Andrew. Thank you so much for the kind words. It means a lot, and it's great to see you again. Absolutely, as always. And I want to give the folks here, I'm going to do a lot less talking, and I want you guys to do a lot more talking. Uh, One of the first things that we start off with is to let everybody know you guys' story. So starting with Ashley and then with Damien, tell us a little bit about who is Ashley, who is Damien? What makes you guys tick? Well, again, I echo Damien saying thank you. It's very nice words that you've said for us. I'm Ashley, and I've been a firefighter for 15 years, 10 and a half years with the city of Austin, and kind of been digging on a really big problem that we have, which is like indoor mapping for us. Like where's the stairwell? Where's the elevator? Where's the alarm control panel? Like where's grandma in 301 that's having the heart attack? And instead of having to read instructions or listen to radio traffic, I've been harnessing symbols that are digital so we can standardize things and and structure them in like a, in an interactive digital map for us to, and that's where I've been leaning in hard for, I guess, the three or four years now. And then Damien, I'll go ahead and cue him up. He's an enabler, everybody. So just heads up, you've been warned. Damien and I have been working together for, I guess, nine years now. And I got really mad on a call. He was my captain. And I was like, I, I can't find this thing. And he's like, well, here, here's a computer. You should work on this. And here, here's some software. You should work on this. And so I kept working and working and working on it. And then finally I said, all right, Let's start a business and come along. And he he fell for it. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Before we get to Damien, Ashley, you talked a little bit about the firefighting and, and what you've been doing on the technology side. Uh-huh. Let's go onto the Wayback Machine. Let's talk about where you're originally from and all of the oh. fun stuff that's associated with that, because that's oh, a kind of well, cool story. <laughs> well, I'm from Gum Barrel City, Texas. And if you can imagine what Gum Barrel City, Texas is, just keep going down that, that you're on the right track. Um, that's where I'm from and went to college at Austin College and then my background's in international economics and finance and then I lived in Japan for a year. I taught English there through the JET program and then I thought I was ready for my career. So I became a financial advisor and was in the financial capital of the world, Asheville, North Carolina for a couple of years during the Great Recession and and I, I quickly learned that that was not the best time to get into that. So I I pivoted and put myself through a tech school and became a firefighter. Just risk assessment, essentially. One was with money. Now it's with my life. So a little That's, better track record. This is where I wanted to get to. That's exactly right. And I did not want to have you not let everybody that's listening in now or in the future, because this wonderful thing about doing a live cast is that digital is forever. So we'll be able to see this literally years and years and years from now is to make sure that folks know exactly who Ashley is and not only your passion for learning, your ability to pivot, but your 
approach to, hey, if something isn't working out or isn't the right way to do something, there's always different ways to do that. So that's something I've certainly learned about you, Ashley, and I wanted folks to be able to know that. So thank you, Ashley, very much. Damien, uh, the floor is yours. Tell us a little bit about all things Damien McKeon related, please. Yeah. So I grew up in Houston, Texas, and spent a lot of time there until I got in the fire service. I started college pretty early. I was 17 when I started college and realized that I, after a couple of failed semesters, I wasn't old enough for that yet. They weren't even taking role. Like they, <laughs> nobody even knew I wasn't there. It was amazing. But the grades show that. I don't want to go the whole origin story because it, it takes a while. But I had some things happen in my life that I had to respond to. And that kind of pointed me towards the direction of the fire service and, and emergency services. And so put myself through, a, I actually collected aluminum cans until I had enough money to put myself through a technical college like Ashley was talking about and became a firefighter and then became an EMT. And I got a job in Lufkin, Texas, which is also in East Texas, which at the time was a dry county. So I moved to a dry county two days before I turned 21, which was that was painful. But uh, I stayed there for three years. And then I came to Austin, started working for the Austin Fire Department in 1998. And I guess nine years into that, I really felt strongly about what we were doing overseas during the war. So in 2007, I joined the military, which is a, a big pivot. It's quite a big pivot, actually. But I joined the military and went through the Special Forces Qualification course, selection and the Q course and all that and became an 18 Delta, which is Special Forces Medic and stayed on in 19 special forces group for a bit. And I guess after all my initial training around 2010, I started teaching for alert.org, which is the national standard for active attack response. Cause I had a weird firefighter background and then a, a tactical with guns in the military special operations background, and then a medical background as well. So I could kind of teach those things. And uh, I've been teaching for them for 13 years. And right now I'm wrapping up my career in the Austin Fire Department. I'm a battalion chief in the Austin Fire Department. And here we are. Excellent. Excellent on both accounts. So there's folks that may or may not be wondering, hmm, we've got some folks that have been serving the, their communities on a variety of different ways specifically relative to fire response, which takes a special, special breed of folks to head into an area where literally yours and other folks' lives are directly impacted and on the line. That is a skill set, that is a passion, that is a calling that not many people have. So what in the world does that have to do with humanizing software? We're going to bridge that gap right now because there's a lot that I'd like to talk about based off of you guys' passions and experience. Ashley, you have a knack for leveraging technology, and I'd love to talk about some previous experiences that you've run into with the AFD, and you kind of alluded to it with finding grandma in apartment 301 or 302, and then being able to manage and figure out with mapping exactly what that looks like. And instead of using floor plans, which might be written, which might be outdated, which there might be a whole host of issues with leveraging technology to have the fire department do their job better, which has also led to other things that you guys are now working on, which is extremely exciting. Let's have that conversation about taking technology and leveraging it to solve real world problems about, hey, I need to, I need to find grandma so that I can save her. What's the most efficient way to do that? 
Walk us through a little bit about you guys' experience with that with Ashley first and then Damien. What's really interesting is that this is a really big problem for us as firefighters. And it doesn't, it's always firefighters, it's also EMS, it's police. I mean, when you go to the mall and you're looking for where Sephora is, or where, you know, like it's actually pretty hard if you've never been in a building where to go inside this building. So our problem set as first responders, our mission critical teams is that we have to solve problems in typically 300 seconds or less where the consequence of failure is like death or catastrophic loss. And when you're going into these events, you need to figure out how to get to these things a little bit faster. I actually found a map that was 100 years old in Austin where people had been hand drawing this, where the right things were on the corner. And like, and what's really interesting was they were taking all this information that was geographically based and drawing it on a map. And the thing about that map on the piece of paper is that it's called unstructured data. But if you can put it into a computer, not just like a PDF, but then you give it structure, put an X and a Y, and you give it more information like metadata behind it, it becomes much more useful. And so I found some software programs and uh, also found a drug that was called Adderall. Turns out I needed that a lot time, a long, long time ago. <laughs> and so I figured out how to use that and I iterated it enough to teach the other firefighters how to drag and drop icons onto an interactive digital map. And so we took the low hanging fruit during COVID because we had a lot of firefighters sitting in front of computers. And so I had a workforce of like 1200 and I asked the chief very nicely if we could take all of this paper and I call it digitizing it, but we just basically like we took unstructured data and then we structured it. And then we always add the paper behind it too. So you can still download the PDF, but basically we were able to digitize like 1400 plans in 90 days. Nothing happens in the government in 90 days. (laughs) Nothing, but she was able to do it. Well, and the thing is like, we run on duct tape and WD-40 anyways. Like if (laughs) that's, that's the little, like if it, if it it rattles, put duct tape, if it's not moving, put WD-40 on it. Like we're like, we're just going to go solve a problem no matter what. So if this doesn't work, we're going to solve it some other way. But like, it just made sense to us in a very intuitive way. And I don't think, like someone told me once that you can't take a tech person and give them 15 years of firefighter experience, but you can take a firefighter of 15 years experience and you can get them in front of enough tech people to do this thing that I did. I just had enough time and enough people supporting me and telling me to solve a problem. And I, I was a dog without a bone. That's what happened. So I love this. I and mean, this is a great foundation for the story and your guys' story and what it is that you guys are doing. It's literally an, an unstructured data. It's, it's information that exists and is great for potential maybe single or double use cases, but mm-hmm. does not extrapolate, does not extend, does not enable. If it gets out of its core comfort zone or the purpose for which it was originally designed, it's not very useful. If, however you're able to take and put some structure around that data that then allows it to be indexed, to be analyzed, to be uh, to put the metadata that's associated with it, then it, that then allows it to become part of a larger data set 
And that's exactly, obviously, what's going on with large language models, the LLMs that are associated with open, uh, uh, open G, uh, ChatGPT and OpenAI and everything that's been taking us by storm over the course of the last six to 12 months. But it's all about this data and being able to take data and use it to solve problems, as you mentioned, Ashley, in less than 300 seconds because there's criticality that's associated with this. So software, in this case, being utilized, being structured, being put together to enable a human being to help out another human being in their most dire time of need from the firefighting perspective. Mm -hmm. Yet, you guys have seen other applications for this, and there's other things that have been developed from where you guys had and have experienced some, just like we all have, some significantly tragic events that led you to think, wait a minute, there's more that we can do here. There's a lot more that can be done leveraging data technology, leveraging unstructured data and giving it in a timely manner to the folks that most need it to, again, be able to save lives. It does not get any more important than that. So let's talk about that journey and bring in a little bit about what you guys are currently up to on the Ike side. Go ahead. Keep going. Oh. <laughs> keep going. So I have a friend that does, like, I guess... Security yeah, stuff. security. And he asked me for maps and because he was going to help out schools after Uvalde. And like we were first off, I think everybody in our industry was just gutted after Uvalde. It was I say it was like a betrayal of my industry. That's not the way that we do business. And it, it really hurt. And so much so that like I had a hole in my heart and the only thing that was going to fill it were two puppies. And I got two puppies after that event. Like it's been amazing and wonderful. They're you might be able to hear them in the background right now. They're, so, they're affirming your decision to get there. They, they are. They're like, yes, yes, you're right decision. Sorry. So we had a conversation with him. And on the way back from that, we realized like maps are important. But like, what if we were the kids? Like, what if we sat actually in the child's seat and at the desk and we we made a tool for them? And like that changed our mindset because we realized like we had been coming at this with our bag of skills, like firefighting skills, our police officer skills or whatever, SRO skills, and we're trying to solve this problem. But no one realized that the children are, you know, we can empower them. And if we give the tool to them, like, how does that change the dynamic? And I, I realized like, well, let's just, let's just tell them like to go lock the door. <laughs> like, let's give, let's give them a phone and let's send them an Amber Alert and let's tell them to lock the door because turns out no child has ever been killed behind a breach locked door ever. Like that's the facts. Like that's the most important thing. Just go lock the door. And then I need someone, if I'm a kid, to tell me I'm being brave. Even if I'm not being brave, somebody just needs to tell me <laughs> like, to, to hold it together for a little bit longer and helps on the way, you know, just like 911 does. And then we started thinking like, wow, well, what if we turned on location services? Then we could see the kids. And what if we could actually like interact and talk with them and ask them what they saw and if they're okay or not. And that's where we took that. We took the concept of ways and the crowdsource data and then figured out how to then take that information and like ways does is they filter it and they also create symbols and turned it into a heat map for first responders. Yeah. So, and that's, Go ahead. No, so Damien, you and Ashley, thank you so much because that sets the stage perfectly well. What we didn't talk about, and, and Damien, I think you've got both of you, I know, have this some specifically relevant statistics, which is just horrifying, of course, but especially this year, 
over the, and over the course of the last couple of years, especially here in the United States, we just have a absolutely horrific increase in mass shootings, and in many cases, mass shootings relative to children. Just something that breaks everybody's heart, but especially if you're a parent of a kid, and I've got three, I know Damien, you do. Ashley, you have two four-legged kiddos that are wandering around in the background. Any life, any soul has such an impact on us all. And Damien, if you can share a little bit about the context relative to, of course, you guys, the idea was really brought together with the horrific Uvalde shootings of some time ago. But if you want to share any particular facts or figures about the con- anything that can give us context relative to the problem set that is being solved here, it would be very, very helpful. Sure. sure. When you're a problem solver from any industry and you, you move into it and you, you examine a problem, you try to solve it, a lot of times you bring and you should, the talents, the skills, the experience, all the things that you have, right, on how to solve a problem. So if you look at active attacks and you look at fire departments and you say, hey, how am I going to get better at this? How am I going to solve this problem? Well, I'm going to train on incident command. I'm going to make sure I can get there faster. I can, you know, do a, a really good patient assessment, put tourniquets on, you know, work with, with law enforcement at the command post, all those things. If you're in law enforcement, you're training your tactics, you're training your marksmanship, you're moving to the sound of gunfire, you're not hesitating, you're spending time at the range every month, all the things you should be doing, right? Military solves a problem a certain way, you know, bankers solve a problem a certain way. So the problem with that and what we run into in in this specific field is that 53% of the time, the attack is over in less than five minutes. So that's only 300 seconds, right? That means if they're using a gun, all the shooting, all the killing, and most of the dying is done in the first five minutes. What's worse is in a K through 12 school, 68% of the time is over before the first law enforcement officer can get there, right? So that means all the shooting, all the killing, and most of the dying is done before we can even get there to put those skills that we've been practicing and practicing and practicing. So we looked at it in and we're realizing, and I've been trying to solve this problem for 13 years, uh, teaching all over the country, but we're not really moving the needle. At Virginia Tech, we had a gunman enter multiple buildings on a college campus over a several hour period and kill people and then take his own life, right? Michigan State, this year, we had a gunman enter multiple buildings, shoot multiple people over a several hour period and then kill himself. And those things are, I think, 12 years apart. 12 or 13 or 14 years apart. Sandy Hook, we have somebody enter a school, killed multiple elementary school kids with a high-powered rifle. And then at Rob Elementary in Uvalde, we had a guy get into the school and do the same thing, right? So we realized we weren't really moving the needle and we had to figure something else out. And, and the key is to lock the doors. So the Sandy Hook Commission, what Ashley talked about a second ago, the Sandy Hook Commission found that there's never been a an event where an active shooter breached a locked classroom door. So if we make that happen, then our 300 seconds, then we take back the clock. And now our law enforcement officers can get there in time. It came about when we talk about software and, and problem solving, we had to look at it a different way. So I love the phrase, uh, and Ashley, you've, gave, you've given an excellent context, and Damien, you as well from two different sides. The thing that I'm, that's resonating particularly with me and the reason why I'm just so in tune to what you guys are doing and excited about the opportunity 
I say the opportunity for you guys to solve this very, very complex, incredibly important problem is the fact that what you're doing is leveraging data, you're leveraging technology to take back that, the clock, mm-hmm. to take 300 seconds and maybe make it 600, 900, uh, 1500 seconds, something that allows the folks that can, behind a locked door, you've got students and teachers, you've got law enforcement that's either on the way or forming up and trying to understand, and they show up, and it's one of those with, we know there's a situation, but what exactly is going on? Quality and quantity of information are two entirely different things, and I know we've had this conversation. You've got plenty of information where he he went that way or that this is happening over here or something's going on, Mm -hmm. but you've got folks that have to make this decision like this that are going to directly impact the outcome of, in this case, a life urgent situation. And you guys are trying to, in essence, bring technology to bear to give a single point of view that is relevant and almost real time for if I'm a kindergartner, if I'm a fourth grader, if I'm a junior in high school, if I'm a teacher or an administrator, if I'm a parent if I'm a law enforcement, if I'm a police officer, a first responder, if I'm a, a search and rescue individual, whatever that may be relative to having these people get the information and be able to make the right decisions, you're trying to provide a solution through Ike that is enabling that to happen. Walk us through this taking back of the clock of you have this idea, you realize, and Ashley, you had quite a bit of knowledge with, hey, wait a minute, we can map things together. It's unstructured, but we can structure it. That allows us to do a bunch more stuff with it. All right. Now we've got Johnny's Acme School ABC that is in this particular area. Walk us through the semantics of what can actually happen or what actually happens in real world now versus what with technology you guys are trying to make happen in the unfortunate likely event that this is going to happen again, but hopefully perhaps we can save more lives with the advent of bringing technology to bear. What would that look like from your guys' perspective? The way it happens today is if I go to a fire, I can see the smoke and I can head towards the smoke. But imagine showing up to a school or a large building and having to go in and not knowing what doors you have to check or where something is. It's a huge building. So that's very confusing in the first, you don't know where the entrance is, you don't know where the keys are, you know. But if you can get everyone to answer their phone to say, okay, I'm, I'm all right or I'm not all right. And then that, that data is then transpect on top of a rendering of a 3D map. And then you can see the buildings are the rooms that are green you know that those are okay and then you see one that's red you kind of like well I need to go towards the red we're using like the same colors of like a stop sign and a red light like these very basic things that we have been using for a millennia or more you know and and just using and harnessing those colors and symbols so that as a first responder I now know I can go in I can turn left I can trust all of these green rooms because I know that the children there have told me that they're safe and I can go to the red. And that means that I can get there faster. Damien, yeah. I think you had some comments on that. Yeah, absolutely. 
when you talk about humanizing software and technology, a lot of times it's intimidating. So we designed all of this to be intuitive. If I show you a 3D rendering of a building and all the rooms are green except for one and that room is red and I ask you where the problem is, I don't have to explain it. You don't have to be trained on the software. You don't have to do anything like that. You know intuitively where the problem is. And if you need, you can zoom in and you can see what room number that is and then plot a route how to get there. So we wanted to make it as, as intuitive as possible and because we're in such a time constrained environment and it has to be that way because we don't have time. We don't have time to, to sort it out. We don't have time to, with a bunch of drop downs. And so one thing that we've learned, uh, you know, when you talk to users and you talk to your customers, uh, potential customers is that it's very, very easy to put too much data as well. There is a, an amount that, and I know I've you know worked. I don't know how many times I've been incident commander at a or or at a command post, and if there's too much information coming in, then it bogs everything down. So it has to be the right information, and it has to be ultra intuitive. And some of the feedback that we've gotten, uh, like school resource officers that we've shown it to, because you know we've done some pilots and gotten a bunch of really good feedback. We had one guy that said that he is absolutely anti-technology. In fact, he told us that his VCR still flashes twelve. <laughs> right. Yes. Like that. And we did one drill and he has been telling everyone that he runs into how useful it is and how how easy it is to follow and figure out what's going on and to, to gain that situational awareness just at a glance. So I want to take a step back because you guys brought up a couple of things that I think is so incredibly important. We've talked numerous times and we're talking about humanizing software. And I will at some point here ask you guys, we, the, the subtitle here is people-driven tech. It's three words, but it can mean different things to different folks. So I want to ask you guys your opinion on that, but that's going to be future on in a few minutes because I really want to dive deeper on this concept that you guys have of taking a complex problem solve set where you've got different, and we use user stories or customer personas across the board. You guys know who your customers are, and it's a combination of everybody that's involved with the school district, along with everybody that might be resolving, responding to an incident at the school district. And at the school district itself, it can be the principal, any of the administrative staff, teachers, and of course, the students themselves. Outside of the school environment, you've got parents, you've got law enforcement, you've got other emergency responders, you've got media, you've got a whole bunch of other folks, all of which when there's an incident, and as soon as it gets sent out across the world, there is an incident, there's an active shooter incident, everybody looks at what's the location, do I know anybody there, and what's the status as to how fast is this going to get closed out? Are people getting hurt? And unfortunately, the answer has been yes. What you guys are doing, and what I'm hearing is that whether it is little Johnny or Jane who are third graders in classroom 102 or their teacher, Frank or Sally, who is trying to keep them safe, or if it's the school administrator who been a, has been a principal for 15 or 20 or 30 years and has been taking excellent care of that school, all of those folks have different input factors mm -hmm. of where they are, what their situation is and what needs to be communicated 
And you guys are distilling that down into a fairly straightforward, simple, red, yellow, green data set. Yeah. And if it's the school principal, they're going to need to know the same thing about how to keep yourself safe as Johnny or Janie is, as the third grader. However, the communication of that on a phone is going to be different. And once that that information is able to be captured and sent up to this dashboard that you guys have created, that then is used differently by first responders, by the law enforcement, by the folks that are coming in to help solve the situation. Let's talk about the different use cases that you guys have designed and how Johnny's interaction with what you're trying to do is going to be different than Mr. Smith, who's running the principal's office, or uh, Mrs. Jones, who is the librarian, who has a better feel of the situation, and then take it to the external factors, those with the law enforcement. A lot of different folks that are in the mix here. How are you guys distilling out the individual unique use cases associated with how to make this all come together? I, I will... I will pass it off to Damien because he really wants to talk about it. I can tell, but I want to, I want to tell a story first, the, like the way it happens today, today, let's go back to Aurora where they had the, the shooting inside of the movie theater. There were a thousand people inside the movie theater and there were 6,000 calls to 911 dispatch that had 12 people that had to clear that. And it took them 30 minutes and it was so confusing that then dispatch had to figure out what was true and was not true and then pass it on to the first responders. They actually thought there were two shooters at one point because there were so many calls because like grandma knew that their daughter was there and they called 911. So they had calls from all around the world to just 12 people. And that's a concept that we call task saturation. We talked about it in other ways. When you are overwhelmed by all the stuff, you get tunnel vision. It's very difficult to get out of. Task saturation is a, a real Thing. And so leading people correctly with the end users to do the right thing and training them how to do it is important. Okay. You ask a really, really long question, Andrew. Uh, <laughs> I did. I'm, I'm famous for that. Just look yeah, at any yeah. of the previous episodes. No worries. There's a lot to unpack there. So let's start with people inside the school, the teachers and students. We need to do a few things. Number one, we have to give almost instant notification to get behind a locked door, right? Avoid, deny, defend. Locks lights out of sight, all the stuff that you normally do, but it has to be almost instantaneous. If we look at the past attacks, you can you can pick points where it's like, man, they, they had a minute and a half to keep them out of the school once they got in there to keep them off the property. And then they had two minutes to keep them out of the school. And then they had another minute and a half once they got into school to get all the doors locked before someone started shooting. So so that's the first thing we have to do and give that agency back to the student. So something is not happening to them, let's say, but they're involved in an event where they have an internal locus of control to go over and lock the damn door, you know, to keep somebody out. And it's interesting, and I'll, I'll kind of go off on a little bit of a tangent. People talk about, you know, people don't talk about this. They don't want to have that Parisia, that difficult conversation they don't want to scare the teachers. They don't want to scare the kids. They don't want to scare the parents. And, and that is very understandable. We still teach kids to stop, drop, and roll when they are on fire, burning to death, right? So we have no problem pushing that concept out. I thought I was going to spontaneously combust until I was in my 20s. But we don't, we don't have a problem pushing that out. But everybody doesn't want to talk about this. And if you don't 
talk about it, you can't fix it. And if you don't talk about it, you can't put that agency back into the user, in this case, into the student to send an alert. And because because we empower the kids to do that as well. You know, we don't have a problem with a kid pulling a fire alarm and there's no way to track that. But if they do it on a device, you can actually see who it is, where they are and that they need help. And it alerts everyone. Uh, It alerts the staff. It alerts the staff. Yeah. So if I'm little Johnny and I push the button, it goes to all the staff that little Johnny pushed the button and he's in classroom 301 and he needs help. That doesn't happen with a fire alarm today. It just sends out the alert. And so that's one of the in case uses. Children know that they can push this button. And once a certain amount gets hit, then everybody goes into lockdown and everybody knows they need to get behind a locked door. If we make that happen and we deny access to victims, then we can sort out the actual threat before they hurt somebody. So that's kind of the the users on campus. Uh, But we also need a way to get that information into the hands of people like us, into the hands of the responders and, and the police officers and all of that. So we developed the command dashboard that all of this data feeds into and it, it spools up and it powers up and it does all that stuff only when there's an actual alert. And then it starts receiving, transmitting, doing the location services and things like that. And it builds the heat map and it, and it does that. But there's also an interface where the users inside can send messages directly to the command post. And, and there's a lot of different versions of software. And, you know, a lot of them will say, oh, it allows you to, with first responders, and it, it allows you to communicate with communications professionals and dispatchers that are sitting in a windowless room and they're not on the scene, which is very similar to calling 911 and ended up with 6,000 calls going to 12 dispatchers. And in that, that overwhelming, it, in that case, the communications person has to receive the message, which sometimes sits in a cloud for 10 or 15 minutes before they in the queue before they can get it. They have to decide it's important enough and believe it. Then they have to send it to the mobile data computer in a police car that somebody might not be sitting in or in a fire truck that someone might not be sitting in or send it over the radio to a message that's not time stamped and may get lost. So by doing it this way, it, it's almost like a Twitter feed of urgent chat messages that you can scroll through and you can see somebody says, Hey, my door won't lock. There's someone injured in the room or everyone's okay. And you can bypass that room, things like that. So, so we had to create an interface that actually worked on scene in real time, uh, which is what we did. And what ends up happening is then that information can be conveyed with like, Flags are different kind of points of interest on the map. You can create a casualty collection point. You can do the thing that we're not good at yet, which is making sure the ambulance exchange point happens and we're able to drive the ambulance to the place to get the kids and drive them to the hospital. That's one other user base that we haven't mentioned yet is that people that end up driving to the hospital to solve the problems there. Like our job is to get the people to the hospital so then they can do surgery because we can't, we can't do that. How fast can we get that? How fast can we move the people? And so by knowing the route to get the ambulance to that person and then getting them to the hospital or getting the whole blood to the kids mm-hmm. or getting them to the, the helicopter is really important for saving lives and drilling that down. And if you miss the communication on the radio, you can just look at the map. 
and the map will tell you where the things are. Okay, I need to go with this IC command over here. I need to go to this roadblock over here. I need to go to these different points on the map. And that's just a visual reference. And pictures tell a thousand words, right? There's a reason why we learned how to draw. And we've been drawing on caves because they convey a lot of information. And we tell stories because they get in the backside of our brain and they help us make decisions inside of chaos. And we do the same thing with symbols and with pictures. By looking at that, you're able to transmit a lot more information quickly without having to tell someone to turn right, go left, go up, go down. And then, you know, here's the key over here hidden by this door. And, you know, like there's just a lot more you can do with a picture. That's what we're trying to get to. So, so much to take away from this. And we've had a number of conversations with other business leaders and technology leaders that we've covered off quite a bit about automation and generative AI, about security or cybersecurity. We've talked crypto. We've talked all different types of technologies associated with this or associated with various topics of either companies or assets or or, uh, concepts in the past. Here today, we're truly talking about information, not just information being power, but the quality of information to prevent analysis paralysis or task saturation, as you had mentioned, Ashley, but give real timely information to the folks that need it to not, it just doesn't matter whether you are a student, a teacher, an administrator, or you're a law enforcement or somebody who's responding to or trying to solve the particular issue the faster and the better quality of information that you can have that is presented in an easy to understand intuitive manner. I love Mm -hmm. what you said, Damien, about the fact that you don't need to say, or if you're looking at a picture, you both had mentioned this, where it's all green and there's one section that's red. What are you going to do? You're going to go to the red. Why? Because that's where the problem is and you can get there faster. And if you get there in 280 seconds versus 320 seconds, well, it's been proven what can actually potentially be the result of that, which is exactly the purpose of this, leveraging technology to help people do their jobs better to solve problems when bad things are happening. And that's what I love about what you guys are doing. Um, And I know that you've got a passion around it. And I want to circle back around to a a simple question that I had. You guys started thinking about this a couple of years ago. You're now, it's July of 2023. What do you know now that you wish you knew then that would help you make things happen faster? That's a good question. I'm making up for the long one that I asked a few minutes ago. Well, I guess the difference is with the long ones, we can get lost in the question and answer whatever we want. This one's a lot more pointed. It's definitely more pointed. It's a little more, can't um, really wiggle out of this one. No. So, so the simple question is, you guys started this. You had an idea of, hey, we could use mapping. Hey, we can do this. Hey, we can do this. Now, not only we can, but you have. It's now several years past this first ideation of what you're thinking about. What would you tell your younger version of yourselves? Hey, by the way, do this versus do that to make you be more effective. I think, you know, we were new to this. And so we were learning and we've developed a really good protocol for, you know, how we hold our meetings, how we talk to users and how we get feedback as well. I think 
figuring out that we need to approach it from a different way because we brought all of our our tool set mm-hmm. and we started building things how we would want them as firefighters or or responders and i think it was a little bit before we really started canvassing and asking other firefighters and other people how you know just because just because we're in the same profession and just because we're from the same background doesn't mean that we have all the answers right so i think probably i would have told myself and ashley to start that process sooner you know and then fewer changes would need to be made down need to be made down the road so go to subject matter experts and other folks that can provide input factors that hasten your development or hasten the well basically the development of the idea or the product or the service itself yeah to put to put it in their hands okay to put mock-ups in their hands and we did that to an extent and we got some some good feedback but i think if if I were to do it over again, I would make that a bigger lift at the beginning. Understood completely. The concept here, and I know you guys had some successful trials. What does the future look like? What are you guys, where are you going to take this? I answered the last one. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're really excited. We are fundraising right now, and we are going to be hiring some more senior devs and junior developers, and we'll probably have this thing out in the market and uh, ready to sell in the next three, four months, which is super exciting. We have some potential revenue coming in soon, which is also like a really big milestone as a startup. I I think going back to that that question that you asked before, I think that, I think in general, this is a really good question for people is, why are people asking the questions they're asking? And they might not be asking the right question. Like, I think that if you look at these really big events of like, you know, active shooters, like who is it? Why are they doing it? Like they're asking, and those are great questions to ask. But I think that if you you look at it from a different point of view and like we, all we did was set in the children's seat and we gave them a tool And by giving them that tool, it has allowed us to change, hopefully, the way that first responders have access to information to make decisions faster. But we just empowered children. And I think that if we can take a moment to look at the way we're trying to solve problems and we try to ask different questions, if, and I think if we take that idea and, and iterate on it for like, why are we not doing this? Why are we not doing that? Like why, why, if you ask the question from a different angle, you might be able to solve a problem better. Understood. Excellent. And that directly leads, and I alluded to it a few minutes back about obviously the live cast is all about humanizing software. And what you guys are doing is literally taking software at its most poignant point of making it be relevant to built by humans for humans to save humans' lives. The subtitle of our live cast, Humanizing Software is the title. The subtitle is People-Driven Tech. When I say people-driven tech, what do those three words mean to you? I'll start from the back of in say tech. When I hear tech, I think of uh, technology is a tool. Right. It's a tool to order your coffee before you get to Starbucks. It's a tool to manage your, your 
finances and your taxes. It's a tool to change the, to manage a social network or change your channel on the television, right? So it's a tool just like a hammer, just like pliers, anything else. And so when I think about people driven tools, I think about all the different ways that I could drive a nail, let's say. Okay. So I could drive a nail by just taking a hunk of metal in my hand and smashing it down. I could drive a nail by inventing something that I turn this crank, which moves pulleys, which lifts this something up and knocks it down. Or I can make the best technology, the best tool for that, which is putting a stick on the end of the big piece of metal and driving the nail down very, very efficiently. Right. And so if I look at people driven technology and technology being a tool, it's driven with the, the efficiency and the effectiveness at the forefront. And it has to be, you know, it has to be, uh, we can make it super, super fancy and we can make it like a heist movie with all this data coming in like the matrix and, but we would get lost in it and it wouldn't work as well as just taking the nail and, and hitting it with the hammer and driving it in. Excellent perspective, Damien. I welcome that. And I'm going to add that one. I like the substituting technology for tool or tool set and leveraging that as a tool set that enables something to happen. Most, most excellent. Ashley, comments or thoughts on people-driven tech? You know, I also go the the concept of tools because, you know, I've been using Hammer or Halligan or, you know, the jaws of life, you know, and you have to know your tool well. And I think that it's interesting, like, if you substitute people for firefighters, I always think it's interesting when people give us a tool because we will break it. <laughs> we will find all the ways that the software does not work. <laughs> I know because I make software and videos for firefighters. So if I want to test something, I just give it to them and they will drive me to make a better tool. <laughs> and so I, I guess if, if people are hearing that and they want somebody to test their idea, go to a firehouse. And if it withstands the firehouse throwing up against the wall, it might be a good tool. So I like the concept there on several different fronts, especially with software. You've got user acceptability testing. You've got all different types of QA. You've got certain cycles that you take. And at Tailwind, that's obviously what we do all the time. 50 Ways to Sunday is custom software development, is following the regular software development lifecycle to take something from an idea or a concept to something that has mock-ups, that is built out, that then becomes something that's developed and architected and brought and now you guys are at this unique stage and a stage that a lot of people do not even come close to getting. There are plenty of idealists. There are plenty of people who have concepts or thoughts. There are not as many who take that and have their passion about an idea or a concept set that becomes an actual product that is put into production that is being utilized by your customers, in this case, school districts, to help keep our children and other humans involved in the ecosystem safe and alive. Kudos to both of you for doing that. And I think that's something that's extraordinary. You're currently, and we've never done this before on the live cast, which is interesting. And I made it a point of not really doing this, but I'm changing it up because it's our live cast and we can do what we want to with it. <laughs> Outside of fundraising, if there was one ask that you could have relative to here's what we need to be successful, what would that one ask be, again, outside of the fundraising set? Those statistics that I gave you, 
if everyone had a better understanding of that and a better understanding of what the playing field actually looked like outside of what they see on the news and, you know, with the, the media sensationalism and all the things, I think that would help a lot. I, th- I mean, I think it would help a lot for school safety in general. I think it would help a lot with our product because we designed it to solve the, to answer those questions. Is that an awareness of the actual realities of the problem that exists? More of an awareness of that. Is that what you're saying, Damien? Yeah. And, okay. and I would say socially more acceptance rather than anger and the grief cycle, the other stages of grief, more acceptance that this is real. We have to talk about it if we're going to fix it yeah. and we have to work together because it's not, it's not a silver bullet. What we've done is not a silver bullet. That's just going to fix everything. It's part of a system. There's a bunch of great stuff going on with artificial intelligence, uh, you know, video monitoring that will key on different shapes, shape of gun, shape of a, you know, funny backpack or whatever and send alerts and, you know, just fencing and hardening and, and all of those different things. And it's going to be a system and, and we're going to be a piece of that. Excellent. Ashley, additional comments or thoughts on that? Well, this is a tech podcast. So if you feel motivated to help us with our project, we would love to hear from you. We have a lot of tech needs. We are firefighters. We're not tech specialists. So if someone out there wants to help iterate on our product and has some skills, please reach out. We are, we'll be hiring soon. Excellent. Excellent. So as we wrap up today's conversation, I want to start and end with this. And that is a, from the very, very most important part of my heart and soul, I want to thank you both for your service. Damien, I want to thank you for your service to our country and the armed forces. And as a firefighter, Ashley, I want to thank you for your service to our community as a firefighter. And the fact that it's folks like you that have put your passion on the line to help folks like us that are listening to live the best part of our lives. I cannot begin to thank you enough, not only for your service in both steads, but for your continued service of living out your passion that is literally doing something to have a direct impactful statement and impact on folks across the board. So thanks so much to both of you. Absolutely. Thank you, Andrew. It's a pleasure to talk to you again. And thank you very much for the opportunity to be here today. Absolutely. And as we wrap up today's episode, episode 56 on humanizing software with Damien and Ashley, we invite everybody listening in to please join in on the conversation, not just on today's episode, and especially, however, on today's episode about how we can help out with Damien and Ashley with their idea of directly utilizing technology to impact humans' lives but also join our conversation relative to how do we keep the humans in software? How do we use this people-driven technology to make things happen? So as we wrap up today, we thank you very, very much for your time. We thank you for your service, and we wish everybody a very, very good morning, a good afternoon, and a good evening. Thanks so much. Thanks for joining us on another episode of Humanizing Software with Andrew Tall. Make sure you subscribe on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts. See you next time.